Hello, and welcome to Love as a Business Strategy, a podcast that brings humanity to the workplace. We're here to talk about business, but we want to tackle topics that most business leaders shy away from. We believe that humanity and love should be at the center of every successful business. I'm your host, Jeff Ma, and I'm a director at Softway, a company that helps businesses connect with their people to build resilience through culture building products, leadership development, and technology. Today, I'm also joined by our president and CEO at Softway, Mohammed Anwar. Hello, Mohammed. Hello, Jeff. And also Vice President Chris Petrie. Hey, Chris. Hey, Jeff. Now, guys, as you know, each episode, we dive into one element of business or strategy and test our theory of love against it. And we've often touched or even dove into topics in and around healthcare. We even have episodes specifically around it and, and how culture and love applies there. But as I learned very recently in my ignorance, public health is a very different topic. And there's a lot for us to take away from this topic. I'm really excited to learn from our guest today. So I'd like to welcome to the show, Elisa Howard, a public health servant leader and owner of Minority Health Consultants. Elisa, how are you today? I'm good, Jeff. How are you? Great. And I'm going to give you a chance to introduce yourself in a little bit. But before that, we have to get one thing out of the way. We do some icebreakers. Imagine me kind of tearing open an envelope because I never get to see these until this very moment right now. But luckily, uh, you can go last, Elisa. We'll start with Chris. Chris, you have to sing karaoke. What song do you pick? That's a good one. So <clears throat> there are songs that I admire and there are songs that I can actually deliver. <laughs> <laughs> we, I think this is important. Like, you got to break it down. If you can just jump into an answer, you got to help people arrive with you at the same place. So as far as me, I have to go with songs that are in my pocket. Um, so uh, let's see. Hmm. One of these days we're going to get a straight answer. To one of these <laughs> no, you're not. <laughs> that, that would not be Chris if I did that. Um, <clears throat> so I think uh, my go-to would be um, <laughs> this, okay. this, is, this is way more airtime than we should be spending on you. I know. I'm about to, I'm about to so, move. Oh my god. I'm st I'm stuck because I'm like, what song do I go to? I'm, I'm executive stuck. producer here. We yeah. need to change. We need to give Chris like what's your favorite number or something yeah. executive producer don't listen to this this is where inclusion should pick in and we should be thinking of ways to support me in this anyway <laughs> um we'll come back muhammad yeah, come back to me yeah. what, what is your favorite tradition or holiday i think it would have to be thanksgiving because of all the food I get to eat and the variety of food and I get to cheat and, and, you know, you're off while you're cheating. So you get to eat more. <laughs> you do know that you can cheat any time of the year, right? You can literally just put food. But in the it's just I something I, I, I think, I think eating during Thanksgiving is not looked down upon. I think it's more <laughs> acceptable. Like everybody lets you have a cheat pass, you know, like Very no one's true. judging you. <laughs> no one's, no one's looking at you be like, Oh, I can't believe you ate all that much. Everybody's expected to eat at this time. So Got that's it. how I think I like it. Good answer. 
Elisa, what book, movie, or TV show have you read or watched recently that you would recommend and why? So I wanted Chris's question, but since I didn't get that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I have the I answer actually, now, by the way. Yes. <laughs> no, the Notebook. The, it's one the, of my favorite the, um, movies. And then the book is even more awesome because I'm a writer as well. So I love words. So, yes. Awesome. I Fun fact, I worked at a movie theater in my younger years when that movie came out. And I would part of my job was to stand outside the doors of the theater with a tissue, a box of tissues. Really? Because, yeah, <laughs> literally. It's a tearjerker. It's great. <laughs> was that just for the women or was that for everyone? Everyone. I mean, it's for myself. Okay. I oh, okay. <laughs> Perfect. Chris, karaoke song, hit me. Okay. Patsy Klein, Walking After Midnight. Give me one verse. On the spot? <laughs> it's like y'all didn't pay for this <laughs> I did not get any payment for this okay go to your vocal cord exercises we'll come back to that too exactly. Lisa, since, since you asked for it what's your karaoke song I'm your baby tonight Whitney Houston oh, oh. I like well okay. I'm not going to make you yeah. sing I just try to put Christmas but I won't make you sing yeah. thank you but yeah, like, I'm not here for that extra. I'm not here for that yeah it's like that costs extra we gotta get <laughs> but I would like to put you on stage a little bit because I'd love if you could share a little bit about yourself, your background and what you work on for, for us to get to know you a little bit. Sure. So I am a public health professional. We'll dive more into that a little bit. Um, but I've been in this field for nine years. Uh, I've worked in areas like infectious diseases, uh, HIV, tuberculosis, STDs, um, hep C, hepatitis C. Uh, and so all of those sexual uh, diseases, but also tuberculosis. Um, and so COVID is kind of in my scope of work right now. Uh, and then I've dived into chronic diseases. So um, hypertension, uh, diabetes, and I'm, I'm mainly a health educator. Um, I take all the information that I've learned and I've turned it into a business. And so now I do uh, public health consulting. And so now I work with stakeholders who have a vested interest in working with minority communities um, to uh, bring health education policy and, uh, and basically equity and equality to those communities. Awesome. Awesome. Amazing. And as I mentioned, kind of in the opening, um, I felt very like ignorant in this space when we first uh, chatted briefly around public health, because I, much like I would assume many people in the world don't really understand what public health is. And to be honest, I still don't. So please, what is, could you please just start us off with what is public health and how is it different from like healthcare or just health in general? So Jeff, you're not alone in this. I actually had no idea nine years ago about public health. I literally was told to come down. My friend said, hey, we're hiring for an administrative assistant. Um, and I was in school at the time. And did you want a job? And I'm like, okay. And I go into this public health office and I'm like, what do you do here? There's no blood, right? <laughs> and they said, no, there's not. This is what public health is. And basically they explained to me, that public health is the opposite side of healthcare. So basically it works inclusive with healthcare, but it's non-blood related. So basically we do the health education into the communities. It's population health, it's community health. Um, public health encompasses so many different areas, environmental health. So all of the things that you hear about the environment, all of that is public health, anything that affects the public. So just think of it as that, public at large. 
And then healthcare itself is actually when it's an individual. So you go to your healthcare provider as an individual. You don't go as a community. So just think of it that way. So I have another uh, clarifying thought there. Is also public health focused on prevention versus the cure while healthcare is focused on cure? Would that yes. be the right way to look at it? Absolutely. So public health is focused on prevention and early intervention. Um, healthcare is more focused on uh, let's get you the treatment that you need, which is intervention. But we try to stop um, anything that causes any kind of public health concern, such as COVID, before it happens. Got it. So I guess one good place to start kind of diving into public health here as a topic is talking about problems. And I'd love to hear about, and off the top of your head, the major or the top few kind of problems that you face in this in the field of public health right now. So I would say one of the main problems we face is getting the community involved <laughs> in their own health. Uh, you would think that it would you know be simple if people are offering free programs, um, free immunization shots, free flu shots right now. But actually, I'm working on a flu campaign um, with the local health district here. And I'm working with trying to get the African-American community um, vaccinated with the flu um, vaccine because of COVID. Um, the comorbidity of that is going to be outrageous. And so we're trying to be ahead of the curve, which is what public health is. And we're having a very hard time because of stigma, because of um, all of the political things that have been happening around COVID. Um, it has gone into the community. It has seeped into the community, I like to say, just that um, that idea of this could be possibly a COVID vaccine that they're trying to experiment on us on. I've heard it all. I've heard uh, the government made that and it's not the same flu shot. And why do we have to get the flu shot? Now people are actually questioning the flu shot when we've actually been getting the flu shot since 1918, since the Spanish flu um, uh, came and kind of destroyed the world at that time. Then that's when public health jumped in. And now we have a vaccine for flu shots that we get every single year. And now everyone's like, no, I don't want it. It may not be the same. And so I would say community and getting them involved um, in public health is probably one of the biggest uh, concerns that we have. Is a lot of your time spent in just like, I, would, I don't want to say marketing, but in, in kind of the messaging and communication space? What's that like? Absolutely. It's all about how you market. Um, as we can see with this COVID situation, um, it was not marketed correctly. It was not um, basically a lot of politics got involved with it when uh, public health and politics should never be involved in a space. It literally is about taking care of people and politics is something completely different, as we know. So those two should never have combined. And because it did, it messed up the, mar the messaging. Um, Dr. Fauci uh, actually listened to a podcast the other day um, where he said the messaging behind COVID was uh, was destroyed from the very beginning. He said if we would have had a hand on it from the very beginning, then it wouldn't be so out of control the way that it is. So it's really all about are you getting the infographics and the information in a um, real language type of way out to the community? We can't speak, you know, the way that we speak in public health with um, acronyms and things of that nature. We have to put real language on papers, on billboards, um, simple things. And it's all about one thing I can definitely say that public health has an issue with is marketing. Uh, we don't have we don't spend a lot of money in it. Uh, when I was a director of an HIV program, uh, looking at my budget, I had very little dollars for messaging, for marketing in general. Uh, and when I asked for more, it was, no, we don't spend money in that area. So 
the messaging is is so important because like you as you can see with the COVID situation, if we would have had the messaging correct from the very beginning, a lot more people would understand that this is a real thing um, and how viruses kind of work. And I think that's kind of what's happening right now is a lot of people just don't understand how a virus works. So I guess for this specific um, problem, like what are what are you actively, I guess, working to kind of counteract that? Like what, 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 what plays in the public health space that you have to work in? So for me right now, like I said, I'm working on the flu campaign with the health district, but I'm also working with the Office of Minority Health here in Nevada um, on the COVID situation. Um, so doing lots of uh, kind of webinars like this so that normal, regular, everyday people who are sitting at home can get on and listen to um, the information that's being that's being displayed um, and told, um, but it's also allowing them to do that. So before we were in a space where, you know, when we were out in the world, I like to say, uh, where we had to go to physical meetings. And then if you were a person that's not in public health, you wouldn't come to the meeting. But now that we have this virtual setting, we're inviting more community leaders um, that have an influence to come to these meetings online, and then they can disseminate the information to their communities because if, at least if they're trusted, um, then then it's better a chance for them. They may not know me, they may not know the Office of Minority Health, but if they know their pastor, if they know their, I don't know their local leader, their um, assemblyman, um, and they are you know they are educated with the information and armed, um, the public will trust them a little bit more. You've used that word twice now, so it sounds like there's a high degree of correlation between trust and public health success or that uh, intervention or preventative sort of action being taken seriously, if not, you know, successfully implemented. So that's very similar to a lot of the, I think, the needs and business communication with employees and, you know, internally, like if there's no trust, then no matter what's said, it doesn't matter. It doesn't take root. It doesn't get adopted, implemented, practice, whatever. And so I'm curious to know, like from, you know, your experience or examples that you've seen, like what can, you know, public health professionals or just anybody do to build that trust um, with the relevant or intended communities and audiences that need that information more because they might be at risk or in jeopardy or, you know, compromised in ways that they don't fully understand? Well, they can hire me. <laughs> like that plug. Uh, no, yeah. so, <laughs> no, they can hire. They, I mean, honestly, it is about utilizing people that come from the communities, um, which brings me to uh, I work and teach for the College of Southern Nevada here in Las Vegas as well as an um, adjunct professor. Um, so I just teach a part time class called Community Health Worker Training. Um, and what that is, is that we literally train people from the community. Um, so people that are your local uh, people that people trust, people that, you know, big mama, um, <laughs> the person that runs the corner store. We literally train those people because those are the people that are having conversations about everything, right? With their customers. Mm -hmm. They're having conversations about uh, politics. They're having conversations about whether they should get the flu shot, whether COVID yeah. is real. And so if we arm them with the actual information and education behind it, and they understand, then they'll be able to disseminate that information to the community one by one, customer by customer. Um, so hiring people who look like the community is really the best thing to build trust. Um, and that's why I do what I do. That's why I became a consultant, because what I saw in the, I've had this for almost three years now, what I saw in the last six years working in nonprofits, working at the health district, working at the state level was that there was no one that could go into the community that the community would just take in and say, okay, we like her, we trust her because she looks like us. 
She speaks our language. She understands what, um, you know, our dialogue. She understands what we're saying. She understands our culture. And that's where community health workers came about. Um, so it's actually a field that's been around for 30 years. We're just now implementing it here in Nevada about four years ago. Um, but it's it's been effective across the entire country to hire people who look like the community, speak their language, um, be able to talk to the community in a way that they understand um, and bring that information you know, down to their level or up to their level, just the point of being able to speak and communicate with them effectively. Got it. That's really interesting. Yeah. Well, so Lisa, <clears throat> yeah, I was gonna ask, in terms of public health, is this a, um, something that is the responsibility of local and state governments or like who owns the responsibility around public health? Is that private sector, public sector? Like if you can help give a little bit more insights into that ecosystem. Sure, um, I would say all of us. Um, okay. Literally what I do affects you. If I don't wear a mask right now during COVID, I affect you, I affect people that are um, around me, right? So it's really a, a people problem, a people issue, a people responsibility. Um, we have to take care of one another. It's a it's a population issue, right? Um, but from a logistic standpoint, yes, it does come from the federal government, and then it goes down to the states. So um, HRSA, uh, Health and uh, uh, Health Services um, Administration, um, HHS, which is Health Human Services. Uh, the CDC, which is the Center for Disease Control, all of those big entities are federal governments. So actually all of it comes from the White House. The White House uh, employs these people. The White House gives these people money um, and says, now disseminate it out to your communities. And then it goes down to the states. And then from the states, it goes down to the counties and then to the cities. Got it. And so when you say it's everyone, can you help us understand how businesses or corporations are a part of public health or how where they fit into all of this? So I like to say right now during COVID uh, that businesses are involved in public health because if businesses don't understand how COVID works, then they're not going to change their, their laws or their rules or whatever about coming to work, right? The fact that you all, I believe, are working from home, that means that you understand public health. That means that you understand that you want to keep your employees safe from whatever this thing is, right? Um, and so you implement mask wearing, you implement only going into the office at certain times or only so many people can be in the office at a time. Um, and then you probably talk about social distancing or physical distancing um, if you are in the office. All of that comes from the head of the business, but the business owner themselves need to understand public health and they need to understand how serious and important it is for all of us to be safe including taking care of your employees. So I always say that um, even companies that are not involved in public health need to know and understand about public health because they take that information home as well. And so if they don't, they don't cover basically their business, they may not cover their home um, with the information and the education. So COVID crisis is a really unique situation that businesses are having to cope around, right? Like this time around, uh, Every business is having to come up with strategies and ideas how to um, navigate around this crisis. And as you're speaking about public health as a responsibility of the businesses as well and corporations that employ these people, what do you think the businesses can do more to help with some of the challenges that you mentioned early on around you know, certain communities not having trust with the um, you know, messaging or what's going on with the vaccination campaign. 
give us some insight into how businesses and corporations can support that in solving that challenge. So I would say how businesses can support just kind of the efforts of public health um, is by being knowledgeable, right? I think for me as a business owner, I try to stay abreast of many different diverse things um, for the fact that if I don't know, then I can't tell my contractors um, what I know, right? I can't um, help my community if I'm if that's what I'm charged with is going to help my community. It's all about what I know. And if I don't know it, then my community doesn't know it. So it's the same thing from a business perspective, from a, a CEO, um, a executive director, someone at the top. What they know is what the company will know. Um, but it's also a trusting your people. Maybe they know a little bit more. Let them come in and be the experts. So if one of you, you know, was uh, not involved in public health per se, but maybe you just like to read and you've been reading about the Spanish flu of 1918 to see how this whole COVID stuff is working. Maybe you come into the office and you allow uh, Jeff to share that information because he's been, you know, he's been reading or he's been educated about it. Um, but it's about bringing everyone together and basically sharing, being able to share information with one another. It's not one person knowing the answer to everything, but it is that one person that makes the decisions that will affect everything. So I really think it's important for business um, leaders such as yourselves to stay abreast of public health issues, but just also your it, it needs to disseminate down to the rest of your staff so that they understand I, I say this um, all the time, each one teach one, right? If I know something and I share with the next person, then they go share with the next person. We can reach a lot more people that way versus us just sharing it with ourselves or keeping it to ourselves. Yeah, I know that we did something like that for COVID. I got I had gotten tipped off about um, a possible shutdown or quarantine situation. And then I texted Muhammad and I was like, hey, I don't know if it's really going to happen, but I would be rather be prepared you know, then be stuck out and nobody in the organization is ready for it. So we closed the office down early that day and said, everybody, please go to the grocery store and get enough to last you for as long as possible, whatever you can afford at the moment. Right. Absolutely. And, you know, sure enough, the following week, the city did announce that shutdown. And, you know, it's those types of things that I think you're saying businesses can can do, even if you're not sure, even if you're not 100 percent certain that this is all factual and going to happen. Right. Because, again, predicting is not anybody's game, really. Mm -hmm. um, but being prepared can be everybody's game. Um, and Absolutely. preparation is really where businesses can help further a public health situation or that prevention. Um, and, you know, when you think about vaccinations, right? So we offer vaccines, you know, for the flu every year at Softway, well, before COVID. <laughs> um, but, you know, bringing in a healthcare professional to administer those vaccines, you know, working with our insurance company to make sure that they were free, et cetera. Um, but even those types of small things as a business owner, you can really bring into, you know, your organization and take off that pressure of someone trying to go after hours or on their own time to get immunized, especially if you know that the flu season is going to be aggressive or, you know, um, sort of transformational in, in, in the sense of any sort of um, uh, permutations or um, what is it called when they when it when the virus mutates mutations? There you go. Is um, <laughs> 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 so permutations? Mutations. <laughs> no, but you bring up some really great points, Chris. Um, yeah. Even that having low. Mm -hmm. um, 
health fairs, right? I work with yeah. a lot of companies here locally who um, ask me to, hey, you have connect, connects with the health district, you have connects with American Lung, you know, these, and I put health events together for large companies sometimes, or small companies, nonprofits, because even if they're out of the public health sector, they still want to make sure they're taking care of their employees. So you bring up a really good, great point about having health events um, at your actual organization. That way, because they are at work and they may not feel like um, I can go to a doctor's appointment in the middle of the day, it's there for you. So setting up um, health vendors and just disseminating the information. So um, what a health fair looks like outside, but having it at your actual office. So yeah, business owners can definitely um, include that and implement that at their at their organizations as well. That lets the employee know. I know when I was an employee, I wanted to know that my boss cared about me. I wanted to know that my organization that I worked for cared about me. That does show that you care and it shows that, hey, we want you to be healthy. And so we've done this extra thing, even though that's not our field, we still want you to be healthy. Yeah. I think at the end of the day, even for businesses, um, you know, we we believe, you know, love is a business strategy that people are at the center of everything, right? Humanity is at the center and it can help with businesses achieve their strategic objectives and goals. And when you think about it, like in these COVID crises um, or any other type of public health crisis that might come about by making sure we're investing into taking care of the health of our people in the corporations and organizations, you are ultimately helping your business stay stable and be able to also achieve better business outcomes, right? Because the more healthier your staff are, the more engaged they are and the more productive they are. And it ultimately ladders up to your business goals just by having that empathy and care and taking care of your employees and bringing that humanity to the workplace. Because yeah. this is really what it's teaching us. COVID crisis is teaching us so much more about humanity than we ever have you know, felt in the yes. corporate level. <laughs> that it's, it's giving us even more of a reason to make sure we are having that empathy and care and taking care of our, uh, the population at our organization, which is a part of a community at the end of the day. Absolutely. So that's what community is, right? Everyone thinks that community is, you know, going to a baseball game or I don't know, going down to your local recreation center. But literally, we are community. Every organization can be their own community. That's what community is. And it just kind of goes out, right? It folds out to the rest of the population. And then we all become a community. So lo locally, a state is a community, right? And then counties are communities and then cities are communities. But then it gets down to the smaller um, levels like businesses. Um, we have like when you work for a company that you love, you feel like you're a part of a community. You feel like mm -hmm. those people are your family. You care about their health. Um, so that's definitely uh, a definition of community. It's about uh, it's about love. It's about um, uh, having compassion for the next person. Right. Not just thinking about yourself, um, because ultimately it's gonna, going to affect you if they're sick. Right. With this COVID situation, if I get sick and I go out to a meeting and I know that I'm sick, I'm affecting not just that person but their family and their family's family and whoever they go and see after that. That's how community and population health spreads is because it, it's one by one. And that's what I think a lot of people aren't understanding right now is, you know, we've had a lot of uh, protests out here. <laughs> Nevada is a very interesting state. We've had what's a lot on? of protests. <laughs> um, I know what's going on. I know what's going on. <laughs> yes. <laughs> At our, not in Las Vegas, but in um, Northern Nevada, is a little different. Um, yeah, they showed up to the governor's office or the governor's mansion with rifles, um, demanding that he opens the, the city. Uh, and 
they were just, you know, talking about the fact that they have rights and we don't want to wear a mask. And from a public health standpoint, it was it's heartbreaking to see because it's like, no, you're literally taking everything that we worked towards, all the work that we put out into the community about taking care of each other. You're literally dismantling that just with this protest. Um, so it was really it was really uh, interesting uh, feat to see, but it was also eye opening because for public health professionals, we kind of learned from that, right? That people don't want their rights taken away. They don't um, necessarily may not care about other people. And so it actually makes our job a little bit harder. And now we're having those conversations on the back end. What are we going to do about this? How do we how do we enforce this? And it has to come from someone higher than us, right? It has to come from the local health district. It has to come from the governor, the mayor, um, I'm not sure if you all saw our mayor on Mayor Goodman on CNN. Um, so I believe it's a woman. It's, it's a she. Yes. And she was talking to Anderson Cooper. Yes. I did. I, I, <laughs> I did. I did indeed see that interview. Um, that was. So for the other two that have not seen it, um, she basically <laughs> offered us up as a, as a, um, as a study. She offered Las Vegas up as a study um, and basically said that, you know, we could do a study here with people um, with COVID. Um, but she wanted the casinos opened. Um, and so Anderson Cooper mouth dropped literally on air. Uh, he said, let me make sure I'm understanding what you're saying. <laughs> you want to offer Las Vegas as a control group <laughs> for this for COVID. Yes. And, and yes, it was just. I don't even know what to say even to this day. That was a couple months ago, but we're still like talking about that in public health mm. because that's a real, I don't, that's basically saying, here's all my children, have them do, do your way, you know, do your will with them, whatever you want to do with them. And it was like, Hey, I don't want to be your children anymore. I don't want to be your child anymore. <laughs> yeah, no, <laughs> um, I, I, so yes, we were, we were really concerned about that um, just because, no one should ever be offered up as a control group um, for a vaccine. Um, it actually, there are protocols and policies around all of that, which is why the vaccine is taking so long. Vaccines usually take typically two to three years and sometimes 10 years for it to be effective and for it to come out correctly because they have to do so many studies and you can't have a small uh, uh, sample group. And so because Las Vegas is a bigger sample group, I think that's why she was offering that. Uh, but also there's, you know, there's uh, ethics around um, vaccine vaccines and offering up a control group. And someone has to actually sign and say that, yes, they want to be a part of a control group because of the fact that we know our history uh, as far as Tuskegee experiment um, and Henrietta Lacks and stealing of her DNA, things of that nature. Now they've put protocols around uh, control groups and samples and people have to actually sign and say, yes, I want to do this versus people just being offered up. Yep. No, I remember, I remember that interview very well and how she kept saying that she People didn't even want to put- People were texting me and calling me, <laughs> like, what is wrong with your mayor? I got so many, there were so many memes <laughs> made. It was a mess. It was, I, when she said that she did not want to put any sort of guidance for businesses or casinos to open up and that that would be their call because she can't tell them how to run their businesses. That was like, she kept repeating that. And Anderson Cooper was just like, I'm sorry, what? what, what? His mouth, what? every time she talked <laughs> to him, he was just like- yeah. <laughs> like yeah. And so that's we have a surge of cases here uh, in Las Vegas. So if you all were thinking about taking a vacation, do not come. <laughs> we have a surge of cases here. 
um, I actually discouraged one of my friends in Texas um, not to come. Uh, she was bringing her family and she was like, hey, I know like everyone's about to shut down um, probably again. So I want to come out there. And I'm like, don't come <laughs> just because <laughs> um, the casinos did open up. Um, and so they they did come out with their own protocols. And yeah, they're not public health officials. Um, and so they did had to they did have to get it approved by public health officials. But um, just the fact that you're in a, a space um, that is closed and there's air conditioning and there's fans and things of that nature, um, it's spreading like wildfire here. Um, so I do not go to the strip. I'm doing this time <laughs> at all. Um, just kind of staying out of closed spaces, eating outside. Um, you know, if I do go out to eat, but mostly I'm just ordering and going to pick up my food and bringing it back, just taking the necessary precautions to stop spreading anything um, that I possibly could have um, that I could have or that anyone else could have. So it's all about, I think people really need to understand right now. It's about sitting down. It's about being still um, and using this time to think about how you're going to help the world. Right. That's how I look at it. How can I be effective? How can I use my gifts and my skill sets um, to kind of help in this situation right now, even if public health is not your your thing, that's okay. We all need everybody to be collective in, in getting this um, under control. Yep. So I wanted to ask maybe something a little different from the COVID crisis, but more to the community aspect that you brought up early on. Mm -hmm. So I've heard this uh, from my brother who works in a healthcare system where he told me that a zip code from where a patient comes from could determine how long they live or their life expectancy rate. And a zip code you live live at could determine seven years uh, more potentially in your lifespan. Can you help unpack that a little bit from a public health perspective and how, why, and what does that mean? And, and, and just educate us on that. Sure. So public health is such a wide uh, range of things, right? Um, what you're saying as far as a zip code, uh, public, what we do is collect data as well. So um, mm -hmm. some of us are working in epidemiology. Some of us are informatic um, people and they gather this data. They gather um, what they basically do is they if we're going out doing food campaigns and in a population in a zip code and we notice that there's something happening in that population in that zip code versus another zip code that we went to that wasn't happening. That's how that information kind of comes out. Um, so basically, it's called social determinants of health. Right. Um, mm -hmm. Basically, it's any barrier that stops you from being healthy. So it can be transportation. It can be the fact that you live in a food desert which means that you don't have a, um, a uh, grocery store a mile or two within your area, in your uh, proximity. That is called a food desert. We have lots of food deserts here in Las Vegas because we literally are a desert. Um, but a lot of <laughs> we really are. Uh, <laughs> uh, we, have, we have people that um, because of their zip code that they live in, as we know, populations are deemed po impoverished, right? Um, some uh, populations or some communities are deemed, oh, that's the rich community or that's the poor community. Well, where do they get that from? That comes from public health um, because they've done studies and information and gathered data about how much money people make um, in that zip code. How much um, do they have problems with social determinants? Do they have problems with food? Do they have problems with transportation? Do they have problems with um, what's your highest level of education? So it also comes from the census, right? So even the census is part of a public health 
bigger issue in its own thing, um, in its own little way. But even we use the census information to be able to determine where we go to do um, our prevention work. So right now the CDC has given us a flu campaign where we're, um, they basically gave us a list of zip codes. So even the CDC knows in Las Vegas, these are the list, list of zip codes that we see have these potential problems. Um, and we need you all to go out and do prevention and education and bring awareness. Um, so that's kind of how all of that works. Um, and it's one of those things like, I don't know if you all have heard of redlining um, for housing, buying a house. Um, that is the same exact thing where it's, um, houses and, and sections of, of cities were deemed back in the day, um, you know, they weren't allowed, uh, minorities were not allowed to buy in those areas because those were considered the, the good side of town or the rich areas. Um, and so redlining is illegal, but it still happens mm-hmm. um, behind the scene, just like everything else. Mm-hmm. And so the reason why our minority communities are um, have a lot of social determinants is because um, of lack of education, right? Lack of awareness, but also the trust issue because they've been, they've been, they've had this history of people stealing from them, stealing their DNA, um, experimenting on them, not allowing them to buy houses. All of those things go back into public health. And so even though we see them as separate issues, it's all really a big collective issue. So I know we already, you know, putting COVID aside, I, I wanted to dive like into our original question of like major problems. I understand that, you know, there's a lot of problems with public health. Could you maybe elaborate on what you started there or even start another uh, topic around some more of these problems that we can unpack? Yeah. So I think that equity and equality are big problems in public health. Um, I think that when we don't, as people, we don't consider someone else equal to us, we treat them less than us. Um, And that come, and if we have that um, ideology, right, we take that to work with us. And so sometimes it's, um, you know, public health officials that have the money, that have these uh, ideologies and that disseminates down or it doesn't disseminate down because of the fact that they believe that certain communities don't deserve um, certain uh, certain amenities such as health. Uh, And so I really believe that if we as a community, as a people, as a as a human race, if we really just tap into the fact that you know, you look different than me. I value you. I value your culture. Um, I don't have to like some of the things that you do or believe in, but I do think that your life is important. I think that would bring humanness back um, just to public health in general, but also to what's happening right now and just taking care of ourselves and being able to take care of the next person because I see that person as a human, not as a black person or a white person, but I see you as a human being. Um, and so equity uh, is the fact where we um, basically we distribute the information and the education to everyone equally. And then, of course, you all know what equality is. Those two, we say a lot in public health because of the fact they literally go together in healthcare, They go together, especially because if a doctor doesn't believe or if a doctor believes what they've heard from their previous colleagues or what they've read about um, a black person, that we're strong, that black women, we're so strong. We don't need um, medicine to uh, have a baby. Um, you know, they're so strong. No, that's not true. We're still human. We still, if you pinch us, we're still going to hurt. That still hurts. We still bleed. Um, but because of the myths and the stigma that's around certain communities, literally doctors go to school for all of these years. They're super smart people, but then they still have these little, these little uh, things that they've been told from their previous colleagues or just systematically within their systems that they're learning 
that about certain communities. Um, certain communities don't believe in, in you know, vaccinations, so they don't go and provide vaccinations to that particular zip code. It's all of that. So it comes back to me, for me, equity and equality. If we get back to those two things and what those really mean, then we can really fix um, public health and we can really um, fix healthcare as well. Everyone should be able to um, experience good health or at least have access to good health. That makes sense. And I know, I know that follows a lot of the conversations around DNI, even in the workplace around like, you know, equity and making sure that <clears throat> understanding that everybody's coming from a different place and a different point of view, a different experience, a different, you know, um, a different life experience. And so having the ability to meet them where they are and still get them up to where they need to be and everybody's getting to that same level. Um, that's really critical. And I can imagine in public health that that is still, you know, a challenge because, you know, when you talk about the flu, certain zip codes might know exactly what that is, what that means and why they should get vaccinated already. So the amount of attention and effort you give to that community might be a little less than a community where they may not know a lot about the flu or maybe they have a language barrier where they you have to translate it into Spanish or another language before they can build that understanding up to know that now they need to go and get the flu vaccine. Right. Absolutely. So, I can see that 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 there's a lot of parallels in and how you you know can disseminate information and build trust in communities where you know equity and equality don't sort of exist um, in the in a natural state. Yeah. So think about even you all working for Softway, uh, you all have access to healthcare. You all have healthcare, right? Um, mm -hmm. But the 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 eighty percent, I would say, well, here in Nevada, a large population of people do not have healthcare. They don't have a, a full-time job um, that are, is offering them healthcare, or sometimes they don't um, opt for the, op the healthcare because they actually need that extra money in their paycheck. Um, so literally um, getting on maybe government programs or maybe not even knowing about government programs, right? So it's that when I talk about education and awareness, it's even those little minute things that we don't think of um, because yeah. we think, you know, we go to work every day, we have healthcare, we get our regular flu shots, we have our annuals. And those are just things that are just a part of our normal life, but that's not everyone's life. Um, if you are in a certain population, a certain zip code, um, work a certain type of job um, where they don't offer that, you are literally the minority. You are the person or the group of people who is not uh, getting access to health care, right? Access to yeah. the information. No one's coming to your house and showing up and saying, hey, here's you know information about Medicaid if you don't have health care. They may ha have heard the word Medicaid, but they don't know what Medicaid is. They don't know that they can get on the health care exchange during um, the Affordable Care Act. Um, what's happening right now, November 1st, we started um, where people can sign up for the um, free for free health care if they don't have health care, if you've lost your job. So a lot of people don't know that right now. So there's teams going out doing that type of work. And they're doing that for the communities that that it doesn't disseminate down to. For some reason, there's mm -hmm. some, you know, there's something that stops it from getting to certain populations or um, the fact that they may just not understand. And so they just kind of, you know, okay, whatever, um, but don't understand later on how important your health is. And so we see a lot of that as well. And I'm sure your brother does mm -hmm. too, Muhammad, um, mm -hmm. where we try to do the public health stuff, but it now crosses over into healthcare because now this person did not do prevention. We could mm -hmm. not get the information to them or they didn't want to listen to us. And now it's crossed over to now they're in the hospital, they're in their emergency room. Um, they're now in the healthcare system um, and having chronic diseases and chronic problems because they didn't take care of it prior. So there's just a lot um, that kind of uh, entangles public health and healthcare intertwines into that. 
I, I also hear, just from hearing you speak about how companies and business owners have a lot to do there, like even providing healthcare options, right? Because I know um, as a business owner, healthcare comes at a cost to the business to provide for their employees as a benefit. But it's not just about making it available, it's about making it feasible for employees to be able to sign up for healthcare, you know, having your contribution or for the family, the coverage for, you know, the spouse and kids, all of that, I think as a corporation, we have a responsibility to the community to think about how are we offering up these benefits for employees. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And also how they're communicated. I think one of the biggest learnings that we had at Softway is that whenever you have, you know, policies or whatever that are going to affect health, um, when you approach our employees with language that they don't understand, it confuses. They don't know if they're signing up for the right plan. They don't know if they need to understand all these nuances, et cetera. And so, you know, as a, a business owner, if you're listening, just thinking about how you present healthcare plans to your employees can also make the world of difference in how they approach their own health. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is sometimes a big opportunity, but also one of the biggest misses is that everything is sent asynchronously and then it's all roped in language that your insurance company has written. And they're not thinking about your population. They're not thinking about your community. They're not thinking about the people that are gonna be absorbing it. And there's a lot of questions but also there's a lack of wanting to ask those questions because nobody wants to look dumb. Nobody wants to look like, you know, they're the only ones who don't get all of this, you know, highfalutin language that is written by some insurance company from some corporate office where they're in that industry and sit at that table and know everything about that language and what it means represents and also what it does not mean and what it does not represent. Um, And so we've had to do like, we have to literally boot camp any insurance person that wants to come and talk to our team. Like, okay, what are you going to say? No, you can't say mm-hmm. that. <laughs> <laughs> like, no, that's not going to work. Like that you're going to get blank stares and you're going to miss the opportunity mm-hmm. to really help people understand why this is a benefit. Why they need how to unique that is that you all do that. Yeah. A lot of companies it, don't do that or take the time to even care. They just, Oh, okay. We'll just have three insurance companies come in and just say whatever they want to say. But because you all you all offer uh, love as a business strategy, you're thinking about people in a loving way where you want to know what is going to be said to them before um, it's actually said because you don't want any harm to be done to your to your community, your business. Mm-hmm. That took a lot. I, got, I think people thought I was crazy. I was like, we can't do that. They can't come and say that. <laughs> but no, it, it does take that type of. It's not control, but it's like it's a care that I have for the, you know, these folks who I know are they're newer in their career, they're younger in their career, they're inexperienced around a lot of things. And that language that you're using, although while I might understand it, you know, to some degree, I don't think that's fair to just have you go and talk to people any kind of way and then expect them to, you know, to be honest, Chris, I won't lie. I still don't understand some insurance, deductible, this is this, out of pocket, out of network, in network. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is so complicated. I just want to have a healthcare plan that I can go see a doctor and not have to spend so much money. Um, so, Muhammad, but, think about that. You, yeah. I, you're college educated, right? I remember you saying yes. that in another yeah. um, call that we were on. You're college educated, and you are even saying that you don't understand it. So, imagine as a person that did not graduate high school. Imagine a person that may be illiterate. Imagine a person that just that just not is not a part of their everyday conversations with their mm-hmm. friends. Um, mm-hmm. Healthcare. Um, imagine that. So, when they hear in and out of network and all of those things, if 
I don't understand something and you just kind of like, oh, whatever, I don't understand it, right? So just imagine that. So from our standpoint, we see things in one way and we may not even understand the things that are being said to us, but then those communities that just don't have the um, the, the college uh, background or high school background or just the, the wherewithal to um, even care about something like that because in their mind, I'm healthy right now, I don't need that. Um, or, okay, just pick a plan and then they pick a plan your uh, copay is $200 and they don't understand. And then now they cancel their whole plan. Now they just don't have healthcare. Right. So there's just, there's just so much um, to that, but that's what public health um, does is we go out and we try to educate them on their healthcare. So there's thing, people call it healthcare navigators and they came out with the um, affordable care act um, where they basically are disseminated into the community and they go out and teach the insurance part of healthcare. And so um, public health, we teach about chronic diseases, things of that prevention wise, but they go out and teach the healthcare part of it um, as far as insurance is concerned. Even myself, insurance is a totally different thing. <laughs> it's a totally different beast. You have to like really sit there and kind of dissect everything and they don't make it um, readable. They don't make it uh, plain language, um, as I like to call it, for for normal everyday people. and whether that's a, I don't know, a strategic thing that they're doing on purpose or whether that is just something that someone's never, you know, told them that, hey, no one understands what the hell you're talking about. (laughs) 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 I'm not sure, but it's even confusing for me. And I'm grateful that I know a little bit about it because I have to teach it in my class. I teach the Affordable Care Act information and insurance and Medicaid and all that. But that doesn't mean that I understand like the bylaws and all of those things. So we have to look at people in all areas, in all, um, you know, areas of life and where they may be at, they may be older, you know, they may be younger. Um, there's a, there's obviously a gap there. If I'm young, 18 years old, just getting my first job, I don't know anything about healthcare because I've been on my mom's plan or my, my parents plan this whole time. Um, or if I'm older, I just want you to take care of me. I don't want, I don't have that much money. Maybe I'm living off of social, social security, you know, maybe I'm only getting a $720 a month. I don't have time to, or I don't have the money to pay $150. So just give me the plan that um, I can afford, but then that, those plans aren't taking care of them the way that they need to. Now they can't go, you know, maybe they don't have mental health or behavioral health um, a part of that plan. Maybe they can only go to their doctor one, one or two times a month um, because of the copay. You know, it's just a lot of factors that kind of go into all of this. But I think as business owners, as community leaders, um, when we think about diversity, when we think about inclusion, right? Um, inclusion is bringing people all together, including them in the the um, ideas and the conversations that we're having. Um, I think that's really important. And it all kind of goes back to equity um, for me and equality. So, yeah, I think this is all just like a wraparound. Um, mm-hmm. I, I don't think that people understand that it, it disseminates down. You know, if, yeah. if the government is not giving us what we need, the tools that we need, um, then the community has to do it. Yeah. And the biggest takeaway I'm taking from this is as a business owner for myself personally, I have a responsibility to the community. And, you know, uh, like you mentioned, people working at a company, they are also considered a community. So my biggest takeaway is it's it's up on us as leaders in the business world to, you know, we have a part to play in public health. Mm -hmm. And uh, if we can just, uh, you know, stick to the foundation of love as a business strategy with humanity at the center of it, then this is a big part of it as well, is being able to up, 
supply the necessary education opportunities, facilities to help the community from a health perspective, for sure. It's a, it's a huge takeaway for me as well, Mo, like that word community, it's like, it fits right in here, but we don't use it enough, right? Like we don't, I don't feel like we say community in this context enough when we talk about love because there's this inherent love built into the word. I feel like when you say community, there's this, you know, it's not like this deep, deep, you know, passionate love, but there's like this love when you're in a community, there's a, there's a, there's a static love that flows kind of between all the members of that community. And I think I love, that's really powerful to me. You guys are talking about um, health plans and things like that. And it was just, just last week I was sitting in um, socially distanced away from my sister-in-law who was literally like you could see like visible stress stressing over um selecting her her company's you know health plans and it was like it was a painful kind of like really stressful process that she needed support in and like as a family member i'm like i like love would be sitting down explaining and helping and you know, as, much, as well as I could explain, because I'm not an expert either. No one, clearly we've established that nobody here is. And, but, but it's like, why, why can't we be doing stuff like that for our community? Like, it's not, it's not, it doesn't have to be family that we support in this way. Why can't we be um, ha- building community and supporting community in those ways within our business, within outside our business and even beyond. And I think that's just this powerful takeaway for me from today. Community is when I just like you said, Jeff, when I see community or when I think of community, I'm a very visual person. So I picture a heart, you know, I picture Christmas, I picture um, people, you know, out shopping, but helping each other at the same time. And someone drops, a, you know, drops their back, someone picking it up from them. Like literally we I think when we hear the word community, we think it's so large, but literally community is what it, it is for you at that moment. Right. Yeah. It's your family, it's your work friends. Um, it's going to work. You're in that community for that moment. I do an exercise with my students where um, when we were in the class, I would have them come up and write what communities they were part of. And the first thing they would think of were race, ethnicity, cultural type of things. But they didn't think of your sorority. They didn't think of their fraternities. They didn't think of um, the clubs that they're in. They didn't think of their jobs. They didn't think of. And that's why I break down community in that way is to show them that they're a part of so many different communities and they should tap into that. So when we say that you're a community health worker, that means you go out and you're always helping or educating people in whatever capacity you can within those communities. Awesome. That's powerful. And I think, I hope um, the listeners were able to get a new perspective like I did around what community really means and how that might apply to not just your work, but also considering public health and considering the greater world around us, because I think it's a really powerful way to look at the world and to change our behaviors around that as well um, and our considerations. So love needs to be a public health strategy. Yes, (laughs) I love that. She's an expert. Uh, Elisa, I want to thank you for your time today. It was a really amazing conversation. I'm I, there's so much more um, that I want to dig into this, and I want to appreciate you for your time. Chris and Mohammed, also, uh, thank you all for having this conversation today with me. Yeah. Thank you thank all you, for Lisa. having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you Here, for uh, giving us time. Yeah. Here at <laughs> Love as a Business Strategy, we're posting new episodes every Tuesday. And if there's a topic that you'd like to cover or something you're interested in, please let us know 
at softway.com slash labs, L-A-A-B-S. And if you like what you heard today, please do consider a five-star review or subscription on Apple and Spotify. It would mean a lot. And with that, thank you all, and we'll see you next week. Thank you.